0: John Danaher is a senior lecturer at the School of Law in Galway. His interests lie in the philosophy of responsibility, human enhancement, and transhumanism. Welcome to the stage, John Danaher. Hi, John. Thank you. So we should probably cut to the chase and say we're going to talk about sex with robots. Yeah?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was, I was struck by how highbrow and worthy the conversations to this point have been. And I, f- I fear I'm going to lower the tone a little bit.
0: Well, not, not, well. I suppose when we talk about sexual robots, we're also talking about sexual interaction with non-animate entities. Yeah, or sure. non, non-alive entities that aren't traditionally conceived of as alive, yeah? And yeah. that isn't a new thing, is it?
1: No, um, actually, as Mark Thompson uh, outlined in his talk earlier on, as, Thomas, we, yeah. as soon as we had symbolic technology, we've used it for expressing sexual desire or sexual stimulation. And his, so he gave us a figure of sometime, you know, the last 100,000
0: years, and the first sexual aid was around, what, known about 30,000 years ago?
1: Yeah, so there was a, an artefact discovered in a, a cave in Germany, the Fels artefact, which is... Uh, reputed to be the world's first dildo or sex. Object. Thirty thousand years. Yeah, although I mean, as with all these archaeological act, uh, artifacts, we don't know what they were used for exactly. That's a an inert historical fact. We can't really discover it exactly. There's a lot of suspicion that they were used in religious ceremonies of some kind. Uh, but you know, five thousand, ten thousand years, you get a proliferation of these things in the archaeological record, and it's much more likelihood that they were used for Purposes of sexual stimulation or gratification. Mm. In fact, there are you know stories from ancient Greece that Mm. are built around this idea of people making love to statues and so forth. Mm. So you can presume it was a a feature.
0: So we've got that thirty thousand years ago. We're here now. This idea of um, robots for sexual gratification. So sex bots. Yeah, is that right to call that? Where are we with that? What what does that technology look like
1: now in the real world? Uh, pretty cool. Do you want some slides? I can yeah? show yeah. some examples. These are safe, I think. So, uh, this is Harmony. <laughs> it's pretty visceral uh, response there from the audience. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is made by a company called uh, RealDoll, or I think the actual name of the company is Abyss Creations. And Matt, M- <laughs> Matt McMullen is the guy on the um, right there who is the founder and creator of this company. He originally started this as an art project. He wanted to create ultra-realistic human statues from silicon that were articulable and you could move them around. And then, I don't know why this didn't strike him before, but (laughs) it became very apparent that people wanted them in order to have have sex with them. Mm. So he decided to make a company that catered to this market. And they've been running for about 20 years. They're a reasonably successful company. They've sold quite a... A number of these. These are dolls. These are dolls, but just this year, he's released a, a robotic version. So it has a, an animatronic head, and it can talk to you. It's it got a, basically like a chatbot interface, like you would see with Siri or Alexa, that is linked to the cloud, and it will learn your behaviors and patterns and so forth. Yeah, yeah so these are
0: uh, dolls and robots. And where are we with virtual reality?
1: Um, well, we're like reasonably far advanced in, in virtual reality. And there's a, a very active community in pornography that caters to this. So there are, you can buy haptic technology, virtual sex suits of sorts that mm-hmm. enable you to interact with people And that's in a particularly the
0: technologies, what? In the last decade, particularly?
1: Yeah, so I mean, even probably the last five years, this has taken off to a large extent.
0: And to what extent is the hope that that will become? I mean, it's unimaginable that it isn't. Hope the aim isn't to align it with artificial intelligence at some level. Is that the case?
1: I mean, that's already happening. Like, because there is a <coughs> an active user group for virtual pornography that doesn't have any human actors involved in it, and that it involves reasonably sophisticated artificial intelligence. That's already happening so in terms CGI. of c- computer characters that you okay. interact with. Yeah. CGI with intelligence. Yes. Yeah. Okay.
0: And the intention, so the stated um, aspiration behind this, is it purely because there's a market and a technology and therefore, you know, there's demand and supply?
1: Um, yeah, I, actually, sorry, just before you continue, I wanted to show maybe two other pictures. Oh, yeah, so do, do. Yeah. This is a Henry, which is the world's first male sex robot that's going to be re- released this year. And just on the virtual things, this is a, an interesting product from a Japanese a company called Azuma Hikari, which is a kind of virtual reality companion, that it's a hologram in a tube. And there was a story a couple of weeks ago about a a Japanese man who had married his, his Azuma Hikari, I don't know what that means legally in that context. (laughs) And I have some suspicions about the ways in which these things are reported. So there's a diversity of these devices out there. Uh, why So they that's a
0: hologram that stands what so high, like Princess Leia.
1: Or yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, okay. I mean, there's a a kind of physical doll that goes with it as well. Okay. Um, but the, the why does it exist, or what's the intention why behind is it, being it developed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, I think real doll would say it's because there is some market for this, and that they're catering to a desire of. Uh, a customer base uh, Matt Mc- Mc- Mullen if you listen to him being interviewed says that his main fascination is that he wants to create a companion bot so that it's not just a doll that you have sex with it's something that can interact with you and talk to you and he wants to move it beyond sex to love and intimacy and he view- he wants to ca- that's why he wants to create the robotic version of it is to cater to that so desire m- m-
0: a stated therapeutic goal of encountering and trying to remedy loneliness?
1: So, I mean, I don't know if there's a therapeutic goal, per se, behind a lot of the manufacturers of these. I think you can, <laughs> you can flip it and say that there is possibly a therapeutic benefit for it. And so some of the ethicists and philosophers who write about it talk ah, about that. Right.
0: But the, um, but, the produ- but the manufacturers aren't being explicit in those terms.
1: No. Okay. Not, not that I've come across. Yes. Um, so, you know, sometimes they talk about catering to people who are lonely or socially rejected in various ways. But it's not overtly therapeutic and it's not like they are working with people to develop the therapeutic potential of this.
0: But teams such as yours might wonder about what possible positive gains would follow. So for instance, loneliness, you talked about um, therapy for victims of sexual trauma, the potential benefits in terms of sex workers and attenuating that need.
1: Yeah, uh, mooted mooted possible benefits. So I I edited a book with a guy, Neil MacArthur, and he would push those arguments more than I would. I'm not fully on board with this, so I'm disowning this to some extent, but I'll nevertheless articulate it as best I can, which is that he... He thinks there are three main reasons why you might want to create these things. One is just pure pleasure and hedonism. Uh, Second is to distribute sexual expression... More fairly or more widely, because there are certain populations who are, for whatever reason, denied or prevented from sexual um, expression and gratification. And also, then he thinks that it could actually improve situations within human intimate relationships. That we don't necessarily need to view these things as substitutes for human companions, but as complements to or human mentors. companionship. Yeah. Or yeah. So, I mean, the thing about the the argument that he makes about trauma victims is that in certain cases, people who have been, experienced sexual trauma or violence, it might be better for them to have a compliant sexual partner. So people often look at the kind of dominance and submission relationship between the owner of a doll and uh, the doll itself as being problematic, but he tries to flip that and say it that it's, it's actually positive in some contexts, in some circumstances, because you want to have, be able to control the sexual interaction and not have that loss of I, I mean,
0: until I'd spoken to you, I hadn't heard the phrase "incel" before, which is a coined phrase for individuals that are involuntarily celibate. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, but so initially, where did that come from, and where's that landed that term?
1: So I mean, I, I didn't know much about the history of myself until I recently read Kate Devlin's book called "Turned On," which is a, kind of a history of sex tech. But it, apparently, it was actually coined by a, a woman in the 90s on a mailing list online. But it has now been co-opted for. Basically, um, young, typically white men who feel sexually frustrated. They they talk about the they're being beta males and they're shut out from denied the right of they're denied sexual sexual gratification. um, That women have been trained to. And this is me repeating their views, just to be uh, clear. (laughs) uh, women have been kind of inculturated to desire a certain kind of man, the alpha male, right. and they are denied it because they're the, the beta male. Yeah. Why
0: are you distancing yourself from the arguments of your co-editor? What was your reservations around
1: them? So, like, my reservations around a lot of this is that I think the debate and conversation is just highly speculative, and there is very little, there's no, in fact, data. evidence, really, or data to support these claims. I, I don't think that's a problem. I think it just means that when you're presenting these possibilities, you need to acknowledge that they are just possibilities. And I think it's worth exploring possible use cases, but in terms of rolling this out or pushing it as a a therapeutic benefit, we need a lot more...
0: It's quite difficult, though, isn't it, to approach it as one ought to if one's thinking about a moral um, dilemma rationally, because it gets so charged for all sorts of reasons with emotive responses... So, for instance, if one were to say, what's, what, "What would you, you know, if one, what would one articulate as a set of worries about this technology?" Um, you know, would, is there a concern if we sit there saying this is awful because it's going to impoverish normal, loving relationships or um, perpetuate particular stereotypes mm. of what a woman ought to look like as harmony? So, so explicitly does. Yes. does what, what about those worries? That whole worry of what the symbol does.
1: Yes, yeah, so, I mean, the, you know, part of the reason why it's hard to separate emotions from the conversation is that, as I, we started with this discussion, was that this is something that has been prevalent in human society for a very long time. So there is a, already a politics and ethics of erotic media and erotic representations. And that all gets folded into the conversation about, about robots for obvious reasons. Um, the main set of concerns about sex bots is that they symbolize a problematic view of other human beings, women in particular, children as well, which is another feature of this, which we can come back to. It's a darker, an even darker side of it, if you want to go into that. Um, And also a problematic set of sexual norms or beliefs, so that people should be sexually willing, they're always willing to consent to sex, that you have this re- dominance relationship or power relationship over them. So that you've got that negative symbolism. Because they're not
0: persons. The robots aren't persons. For the time being. For the we time being. That, yeah. So we're, when you're saying the symbolism, we're saying in encountering sex in this fashion, it may have deleterious effects more widely because we can't harm currently...
1: Yeah, so we're not viewing the the robots themselves as moral victims of any interaction, but the idea is that this negative symbolism can have negative consequences for how individuals behave with other human beings. But by generalizing a norm. Yeah, I mean, I think there are two worries, actually, that pop up. One is that people will normalize problematic attitudes towards sex, which they will carry over into interactions with human beings. Or else, some kind of the flip side is that is that this will encourage people to just completely withdraw from human sociality and society, that they will become much more insular and live out their entire lives in, in their rooms, with their virtual sex machines. I mean, that, that's a worry, to some extent in the debate in Japan and Japanese culture. There's a whole subculture of the hikamori who are these hermit-like individuals who spend all their time in their apartments and never see the outside world. Well, why do they have to, because they can get all the sexual gratification they need or all the entertainment and pleasure they need from this insular environment that they've created. There's a famous illustration of this from the TV show Futurama, I don't know if anyone has ever seen it, where it's obviously set a thousand years in the future, and it's about a man from the 20th century who gets frozen in time and uh, (laughs) reanimated in the year 3000, and robots are widespread, but nobody dates them or engages in intimate relationships with them because they've all been warned off that by a public service announcement that says, don't, don't date robots because it'll lead to the collapse of civilization. Because everything positive about civilization, science, art, technology, sports, poetry, that's all because people want to attract a sexual partner. And if they don't have the need for that anymore, they won't do anything. So that's an extreme manifestation of that concern. But you see versions of that cropping up in the ethical debate too, this fear about withdrawing and becoming life being too convenient and too easy. So you've you've cited two sorts of consequences there.
0: The actual practical ones where we would withdraw, but also the second in terms of the sorts of attitudes it might encourage and foster. And it strikes me that those attitudes are primarily towards um, women. So the majority of these robots and dolls are women?
1: Yeah, so I mean real dolls figures is that about 10% of their customer base are Female, or right. yeah, and they do create robots that are dolls that cater to a fairly diverse set of possibilities, but about ninety percent of them are so women men. a particular
0: yeah. physique and a, a, a dynamic that is inherently one of domination of, against submissiveness. Yeah, just I mean, just say a bit then um, about why we oughtn't to what, or we ought to scrutinise this claim anyway that symbols necessarily become generalized into norms with fixed consequences or that maybe maybe we should be more open to the fact that we can shape
1: those consequences so i mean i think there are two things here one is just that i have a general concern about the way in which symbolic meaning is weaponized in ethical debates so it has nothing to do with robots per se so look, uh, concerns about symbolism crop up in in many conversations about What's the right or wrong thing to do?
0: Just say a bit more about that for us. Sorry to interrupt you. When you say symbolism, you mean the way in which we take things to mean particular things. Yeah, yeah so
1: the way in which we, we create some kind of object representation and we attach a, a meaning to that which is valorized in some way as either a positive meaning or a negative meaning. Um, so statues, the debates in the US about statues of confederate generals and so forth, the way that they've been um, so contentious because of what they mean, what they symbolize, what they're taken to symbolize.
0: And we assume the consequences that will follow.
1: So this could be somewhat divorced from from consequences initially. um, But so sometimes it is linked to a fear about the consequences that if you have a statue that seems to be celebrating a a racist um, set of desires, that that creates a climate that fosters or encourages that racism to carry over. And so the idea then is that oftentimes that, that symbolic meaning is somehow fixed, that it never really changes, but actually sometimes symbolic meaning can change and shift. And if you look at history or other cultures, we see that things that we attach a very negative meaning towards can actually have positive meanings in other cultures or other places and times. So, I mean, a couple of examples from other debates. If you paid somebody to give a speech at your father's funeral in Western culture, most Western cultures, that would be viewed negatively. You know, that's not a very um, respectful respectful way to yeah way to express your respect or grief. But in other some cultures, it is a positive thing. That actually, the more money you pay somebody to eulogize your parents, the more you're expressing respect. Um, other ancient examples comes to like, how do you express respect for the bodies of the dead? In some cultures, you, you burn the bodies of the dead, and that's a way of expressing respect for them. Other people view that as of treating um, yeah. it like a piece of rubbish or something like that. So that's, we, we see shifts in symbolic meaning across cultures and times. So that, I think the important point is that symbolic meaning isn't uh, fixed, it isn't necessarily given. And so we may want to scrutinize the negative meanings that we attach to certain representations, And when might we want to do that? We might want to do that if it turns out that something that has a negative symbolic meaning in a culture actually has positive consequences.
0: Is one of the consequences slightly more nuanced and hard to grasp around, you know, in navigating um, loving relationships and sexual relationships, they're almost inevitably complicated and, and messy and forged over periods of time rather than... Um, obviously mechanistic or easily um, met or gratified. Is there a sense in which this technology is putting paid to having to navigate the complexities of love and therefore almost forging it by just insisting on simple, easy, uncomplicated sexual gratification?
1: Yeah, so I mean, it, it's this notion that we remove barriers or obstacles to sexual gratification and. Oftentimes, people view the barriers and obstacles as part of what makes sexual intimacy meaningful, meaningful yep. and, and, and positive. Uh, that you need to there needs mutuality. There needs to be some compromise, <laughs> give and take, rather than one party having all the authority or control. Uh, but I think uh, we see both sets of of desires in in society: the desire for convenience, but also then this sense of of the positivity of complexity or. Um, achievement over complexity as well. Do you, know, can, do you have a sense of where this is headed, this technology? Um, I mean, again, my, my general view is that we, we don't really know where where it's going. I think we're, we're going to have more of it. That seems pretty obvious In to me. In the next decade? So, yeah, I mean, there's always a desire whenever I'm interviewed by journalists to predict the exact year that there will be this sexual Cousin, singularity like, oh, yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm always hesitant, hesitant uh, mean to, to say anything. But given
0: I'm not a journalist, what would your
1: um, <laughs> view on it be? So just, just between the just two between of us. The two um, us. Um, <laughs> my, my general sense is yeah, 10, 15 years. <clears throat> I mean, there are websites where are reputable or not-so-reputable newspapers where you can find my name associated with the claim that by 2025 this will be widespread, but like, I, no, I have no idea where that comes from. I've, I've never said it. So. Um, You've been met
0: by some I mean, The journalists typically s- respond sensationally, don't they?
1: Yeah, actually, I have a slide about this as well, if you want to show that. Um, so these are just a, a sample of headlines from newspapers, some reputable and some not-so-reputable, uh, about the coming sexbot revolution See a lot of them are quite um, sensationalised. That was just last month. Houston banned it, the idea of a, a sex, a sex bot brothel. I mean, it wasn't, again, it wasn't really a robot brothel; it was a, a doll brothel. That's another <laughs> illustration of it. So I, everyone's. I'm glad we've got that like, clear, just in case there was any. I w- I should <laughs> that maybe. Um, I can get rid of these images if you want, but my sense this is a real eye-opening experience for me in terms of like how modern digital media works and how broken the system is. So I remember about three years ago I woke up one day and I looked at my website and I noticed that there was a massive increase in traffic to my website and also on Twitter I had been tagged in quite a number of irate tweets about a story that was published in the Sun newspaper about an article that I wrote um, about four years ago about the future of sex work and automation. So, like, This is my first entry into this debate. I'm, I'm mainly interested in automation and the impacts of automation on work and society, and so I was asked to write something for a journal about this. And I said I would write about kind of black market forms of work or long socially accepted forms of work, namely sex work is the example. So there have been a few people who have been arguing for quite a number of years that sex robots will replace sex workers and that this is a, a positive consequence of their use given the evils of, of sex work. Um, and I just argued for, partly out of academic contrarianism for the opposite view, which I thought that maybe sex work would be more resilient to automation than other forms of work. So the reason I argue that is because I think automation in other forms of work might increase faster than in sex work, and that'll mean that people will gravitate towards forms of work where there is some perceived human advantage, an advantage of a human service provider. Mm. It seems to be that yeah. sex work might be one, one so of it's those. It's rational argument. argument. Yeah, yes. So the, the paper was divided into two halves, where at the first half I outlined the contrary point of view and then the second half my point of view. And it wasn't an ethical argument or anything, it was just saying this is a seems to me possibly more likely. But um, obviously a journalist read the first paragraph or so of it and decided to publish a story saying that I, I predict that robots will um, displace sex workers, the future of red light districts okay. is in jeopardy because okay. of robots or something like this. Yeah. Okay. And it presented the story as though it was an interview with me, as though, like John Danaher tells the Sun newspaper that this is going to happen by 2025. And then that story was republished on every British tabloid, or actually some broadsheet media as well. The Daily Mail, in fact, published this, republished the same basic story, written by three different journalists twice in the same day. Um, so, I, I remember e- emailing the person who wrote it for the Sun and said, "Look i, I mean i don 't know where you get this from because that 's not what the paper says, and also I never spoke to you in, uh, in this ar- article, so could you please correct the record or whatever And they decided just to take it down. but by then it had gone yep. all over the world. I yep. think there was something like fifty different news websites around the world that had taken up this story, yeah, so it became impossible to really. Close the lid on the yeah. story, or try to I know, own yeah.
0: the argument in some sound fashion.
1: Yeah, but so I think there's a. This really appeals to like clickbait media. Yeah, and there is a tendency just to throw up stories with headlines that provoke uh, the most you kind know, out, outrage emotive. reaction and of reaction.
0: So rationally, though, if the tech is out of the box, and your argument might be it's been out of the box for thirty thousand years, yeah. what does one do with it? What's the response to this? Is it just the text out of the box, get over it? Or or are our intuitive apprehensions and worries somehow to be rationally met? And Do it better? Do it responsibly? Meet it responsibly? How do we... What's what's the human response to this, the societal response?
1: Yeah, I mean, so I have two responses. The first is just part of a, a general... Position I have about technology and society is that I think we should be adopting a much more experimentalist approach to technology where we we regulate the development of tech like phones, smartphones, robots, whatever, in the drugs. same way that yeah. we regulate the development of medical yeah. drugs. And I'm not the only one who's argued for that. It's a position I'm just taking from other people. But you know, the notion that Steve Jobs could just announce the existence of the iPhone and release it to the market, and it has this transformative social effect without any kind of pre-testing or yeah. pre-consideration of the yeah. consequences of it seems to me problematic. So I think there needs to be some social experiment or regulatory authority for managing the release of transformative technologies. And I would class sex technology among that. Okay, So that's part of my view. So yep. I think that's, we, that's what we need to do. Mm. I don't know how successful we are going to be in that, as you say, since the technology is out of the box already.
0: And the second bit of your view?
1: So the second bit of my view is just uh, based on an, an, kind of an analogy with debates about pornography and erotic media mm. in the past. So you know, there's a common view that you should ban it or prevent it to, from existing in some way. And then there's another view that you should try and create a more positive version of it. So you, see the, you see this debate within sort the feminist porn wars, which were waged in the 80s and 90s. are still being waged to some extent today, but they were particularly prevalent back then, that you had certain cohort of feminists who were very opposed to pornography and looked to ban it or create a set of civil rights associated with that people could sue for the harms that pornography caused. But then you also, at the same time, you had an alternative group, the Sex Positive Feminist Movement, which was more about creating a positive version of pornography feminist pornography as it's sometimes referred to. So shaping the
0: technology responsibly.
1: Yeah, so that, that I tend to lean more towards that. If okay. There are problems with the objectification and representations that yes. you find in this technology. Huge problems, yeah. And I think that the best response to that is to try and create a better version of it. And some of my work has been geared towards that.
0: Closing question then. Is it possible in your view that it's one might love a robot?
1: So, yes. I think it's possible to love a robot, but that's... The objection to Not that, like you love your Dyson. I mean, actually, <laughs> love it. Yes. So, I mean, the, the, the objection to loving a robot is that a, lo- a robot can't have some inner mental life. It, um, it can't engage in kind of mutual affection because there's nothing behind the eyes, so to speak. Currently. Currently, Um, So possibly we could create a robot that does have that. I'm I'm open to that possibility. But even if we couldn't, my view is that all we ever have to go on in our interpersonal relationships and reactions with other people are how they react to us and behave towards us. So as long as a robot meets all the behavioral criteria of love, you're in a loving relationship with it.
0: John Donahue, thank you. (laughs) Thanks, Thanks. Frank.